non-believer Bible club. Welcome back. I have finished the book of Judges, so now it is time once again to play my favorite game. Is the non-believer a believer yet? Believe, believe, you stupid bastard. It's fun for me to do this after each book. No, I don't think there's going to be a sudden flip like, oh, man, I hit Ecclesiastes and oh, then I knew. There's a lot of information in the Bible that's completely irrelevant to my life. Don't think I'm going to start crossbreeding goats anytime soon. I definitely enjoy it more as a story and take it less seriously when I'm asked to actually believe in what I'm reading. But when something does strike a chord, I'll think about it for weeks and it makes me wonder what more the book has to offer. I haven't seen it put any better than Bertrand Russell describing how to properly read the ancient Greeks, who, on one hand, could correctly predict solar eclipses, and on the other, guessed that the sky was made of water. Pythagoras discovered geometrical truths, but he also taught his followers to abstain from eating beans. Does this mean he was stupid? Bertrand Russell says, in studying a philosopher, the right attitude is neither reverence nor contempt, but first a kind of hypothetical sympathy until it is possible to know what it feels like to believe in his theories, and only then a revival of the critical attitude. When an intelligent man expresses a view which seems to us obviously absurd, we should not attempt to prove that it is somehow true, but we should understand how it ever came to seem true. When I read the Bible, I don't read to believe, but I don't read to judge. Some of the smartest, most creative men and women who ever lived believed in the Bible. It seems most fair to read it with a hypothetical sympathy, not which parts of the Bible are true, but what seemed true to them and why. Let's talk about the book of Judges first. Whether it's Genesis or Game of Thrones, the first aspect I'm going to focus on is always going to be the story. The book of Judges is an examination of the Israelites' tendency to sin. They've made it to the promised land, but they can't get their shit together. Their most common offense being not partying, not orgies, but worshipping other gods. Possibly through libations and orgy. God allows the surrounding Canaanites who want them dead to oppress the Israelites. One or two noble Israelites, called judges, stand up against the Canaanites and their polytheism. They gain strength from Yahweh, the one true God, and vanquish their enemies. The judge Shamgar fought with an ox goad, Deborah with her strength of will and prophetic visions, Samson with his strength of muscles and the jawbone of an ass. But inevitably, the children of Israel, or the judge themselves, in the case of Gideon, fall to their bad habits. God punishes them. Rinse, wash, repeat, the whole book. From a story point of view, strangely not annoying, even though it's literally the same story that's been told since Genesis, over and over. But what's different? Actually, the frequency is different. The Israelites as a whole haven't changed but they're fighting back against their nature at a hitherto unprecedented rate. Instead of 400 years of slavery and oppression, it's more like 40 years of slavery and oppression in between each judge. In Egypt, Moses was chosen to introduce the Israelites to their one true God. The people 
can turn to sin, but their eyes are open now. You can't turn back when you know the truth. Not for 400 years, anyway. Second aspect, the book of Judges as a historical document. Yes, you can recognize that parts of the Bible do parallel recorded history, but if you can do that, you should also recognize that other parts serve explicitly as political propaganda from the post-exilic period. Israel, embittered by their defeat and exile at the hands of Babylon in 597 BC, both idealize their lost kingdom and demonize their heathen neighbors. We see this humorously, at least to me, in Genesis 19.30-38, where Lot and his daughters get a little freaky, and the incest babies Moab and Ben-Ami conveniently father two of Israel's main enemies and neighbors, the Moabites and the Ammonites. We hate them. They were born from incest, I bet. <laughs> we see this again in Judges 19.12, when the Levite refuses to take shelter in Jebus, home of the Jebusites. We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger. That is not of the children of Israel. This is a campaign against idolatry and for monotheism, the main aspect of Judaism that set it apart from the religions of its surrounding neighbors. Although sin passes to Israel through these strange nations, the blame is also pointed at Israel itself. The Levite who avoided Jebus, or as I call it Jebus, in Judges 19, instead goes to the Israelite city, Gibeah, where his concubine is gang-raped and murdered by their own countrymen. After they kicked her outside, come on guys, party foul. As much as the idolatrous practices of their neighbors represent corruption and sin, Israel is just as liable for his poor choices, and Judges shows this no better than through the tragic Danite hero, Samson. Subject to God's grace, yet punished for his lust for Philistine women, Samson represents Israel as a nation at war with itself. This is the third aspect, the metaphorical. Each judge represents different facets of Israel as a whole, so I find it interesting that Samson's sin is that of lust. The need to sin takes a very carnal form. Israel is often described as being seduced into sin, or going out a-whoring, but in Samson's case, the narrative also roots Samson's lust in feelings of betrayal. It's easy to forget, but Samson's story begins with a failed marriage. He told a riddle to some guys, and they got really pissed when they couldn't figure out the riddle, so they said they burned down Samson's wife's dad's house and kill her and her dad, so Samson's wife tells the guys the answer, and Samson finds out, and then everyone gets killed. From then on, Samson trusts nobody, and only enjoys beating the shit out of people, tearing down city gates, and banging prostitutes. But when does he let his guard down? When he's fallen asleep in the lap of Delilah after confiding with her his deepest secrets. Israel finds temporary comfort in the arms of the Philistines, but what they really want is trust. A loving relationship in the soft, soft lap of God. Anything less is to be like Samson, blinded by your enemies, enslaved, and left with the overpowering, agonizing wish to start all over again. God doesn't need to send a flood. Samson personally wipes the slate clean at the cost of his life. So they're finally getting closer to God. Samson's like, yeah, yeah, I get why you want to just fucking kill everybody. <laughs> they're, they're progressing. <clears throat> anyway, before we get lost in the orchard, suffice it to say, these are my observations, 
as a first-time Bible reader. I'm not an expert, nor can I say that I've correctly understood the meaning of what I've read. I just read an article published in Pacific Coast Philology, a journal produced by the Pacific Ancient and Modern Language Association, that suggests that Judges was written with a specific intent to disturb and disgust, such as when the second Judge Ehud stabs Eglon, king of the Moabites, you know, them incest babies, and bust open his entrails. Ugh. Or in Samson's story, how the sweetness of the honey is tainted by the decaying carcass of the lion. In another article, The Riddle of Samson, published in Proof Texts, a Jewish literary journal from the Indiana University Press, Edward L. Greenstein also suspects that Samson is a metaphor for Israel, but he goes even further than I did, connecting stray bits of information and anomalies that link Samson to all of the other judges as well, suggesting that his story is kind of a digest or conglomerate of all the judges. In Samson, the man-child failing to come of age in the Deuteronomistic history, Stephen M. Wilson points out that Samson's lack of children, impetuousness, and non-integration with other men makes Samson a cautionary tale, with the main focus of stressing the duty of the younger generation to succeed the older. It seems fitting, as of the end of Judges, Israel is a bratty man-child who refuses to grow up. There are thousands of articles like these covering a range of topics and interpretations just from this one book in the Bible. This, I suppose, is what Bertrand Russell meant when he said, we should understand how it ever came to seem true. To understand, we have to analyze, we have to ask, and we have to respect a culture that we are very, very far away from. The last thing I'll do is say that I have the definitive take, but I learned something new every time I read. If anything, that's the real reason why I keep coming back, because I'm actually and continuously rewarded for giving the literature more time and more thought. At least, that's what seems to be true for me. I hope you've enjoyed my look back at Judges. If the mark of a man is to push on, then so shall we. Israel is a mess. But by taking responsibility and obeying the laws of the covenant, maybe they have a chance to make something great. Which is really just another way of saying, how are they going to fuck it up this time? Joineth me. Let us begin the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Mahlon and Chilion, Ephraim, 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 Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, sorry, Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. <sighs> And they dwelled there about ten years. And Mahlon and Chilion died also, both of them. 
and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. I wonder if that means she heard about the manna from heaven when the Israelites were roaming the desert. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Wow. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Now remember, Ruth is a Moabite, so she's descended way, 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 way back from Lot and one of his daughters. So like a few women before, including Rahab the harlot, Ruth is one of the noble Canaanites. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. But when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then, call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Dang, sad start. Ruth, though, Ruth is a good one. So, taking a look at my favorite, your favorite, maybe even God's favorite, Ellicott's Commentary for English Readers. Ruth 1.6, she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread, is not a reference to the manna from heaven. Simply, the famine is over, and they're able to make some food. 
As for Naomi's name, Naomi can apparently mean pleasantness or my pleasantness, but the word Mara means bitter. Hence, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Chapter 2 And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. Page turn. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shewed me, all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law, since the death of thine husband." and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, Nah, you be like a wife. Just kidding. At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Is good. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. That is actually in the Bible too. Parts of your field have to be left for people who don't have food. But also, you shouldn't work even your animals without making sure they have food. So, she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city.
And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she shewed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men, until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So this deal that they're making about her working in Boaz's field goes back to what Boaz said before. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And then again, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. So he's saying, yo, don't rape this chick. She's fam. Don't bother her. In essence, she's safe. And Boaz has extended basically his favor to her. So to go to another field anyway would be disrespectful. Chapter 3 Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in, and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. <laughs> and she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, getting him after he's eating. That is a great tactic. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shewed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followedest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. 
but if you will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And you know what no means. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Chapter 4 Then went Boaz up to the gate, and sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside, and sat down. Damn, I thought he was talking, like, hypothetically. <laughs> and now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. And here he is. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Is this like in that Nicolas Cage movie where him and Pedro Pascal swap shoes? <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders, and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chilion's, and Balon's, and Machlon's, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Machlon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Another old tradition, marrying the spouse of your dead kinsman, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, who did, <laughs> which too did build the house of Israel. 
and do thou worthily in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. I like that this book has been going on for so long that now the people in the book can reference stuff that I've already read. It's like part of their history. <laughs> so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Page turn. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women her neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. David the king. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, 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 and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And now, finally, we have reached the end of the book of Ruth and the end of our reading for today. That was nice. I liked that. Real short, nice and wholesome. The opposite of last week's reading. Basically a nice little rom-com, a little romantic comedy. Just good old-fashioned people getting together. It was like Pride and Prejudice without the pride or the prejudice. Just nice people being nice and doing nice things for each other. How interesting the women taking center stage for this story. And finally, we get the motif of the generations back. To let you know, without doubt, we've arrived at something important. David. The line for Christians that will lead to Jesus. But for Jewish people, the one that leads to David. One of the most important rulers in the kingdom of Israel and Judah. But that's a story for another day. So a few things of note. One, sneaking in in the middle of the night. That's a move. It's pretty bold. But apparently sleeping at his feet is a show of submission. Paired with this, she specifically does not sleep with him. So basically through a steadfast belief in God over the gods of the Moabites, standing by Naomi, someone so close as to be her mother, through hard work leading to her meeting Boaz in the first place. All of these things bring Ruth to Boaz so that they can continue the line that Naomi lost when her sons died. It's a wonderful story of how life can continue because of loyalty. Nothing ties them together but their love. And that's enough for Ruth and Naomi to pull it together. I've read how this is apparently taken as a lesbian allegory, but more on that next time once I do some research. My guess, though, it ain't. 
Second thing, Boaz is a Judahite, descended from Judah and Tamar. Tamar, who back in Genesis, tricked Judah into sleeping with her because he promised her that he would marry his sons to her, and he never did because he's a dick. So she's like, fine, you make him promises, you can fulfill them. And that line led all the way down to Boaz, a line that meets the generations and generations and generations that came from Lot sleeping with his daughter. So now we have these two insane lines with extremely unlikely odds meeting together. And the fruit of this will be the greatest Jewish king of the Old Testament. Very exciting stuff. But for now, as always, thank you for joining me on the Nonbeliever Bible Club. Wherever you are, cozy up to your man, slip off those shoes. If you're a dude, give your bro your shoe and stick by your stepmom. It'll all turn out all right. Adios.